than I should. And so my vest kept riding up. And so she said, next time you preach, don't let your vest ride up like that. And I was like, I said, okay, I'll, I'll try not to do that. So then a few weeks later, I preached again, and I was self-conscious about it. So I kept, you know, every few seconds, I'd reach up there and tug it down. And she'd, she says, do you realize that that entire message, you were tugging on your vest? So I can't win with her, but that's all right. That's all right. Uh, Today's message is actually called, God Won't Give You More Than You Can Handle. Now, uh, some of us have probably heard this phrase before, and I'll be honest, anytime I've heard this phrase, it's usually by some spooky old religious person, and, and it's after something terrible has happened. Oh, and pastor's reminding me, the, uh, if you need any handouts, the ushers have handouts. Uh, so... Robert will be passing out the handouts, but uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. And usually after something bad happens, there'll be some spooky religious person and they'll say something, you know, they're trying to to blame God for the misery in your life. You know, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. He'll he'll only give you a little bit of misery at a time because God wants to just pour all of this evil and misery into your life. But. If you've been at this church for more than five minutes, you know that that is not scriptural at all. God is not the one who puts bad things in our lives. We know that from John 10, 10, that that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give us life, and not only that, he wants us to have an abundant life. One translation says he wants us to have and enjoy life. Jesus wants to enjoy life, us to enjoy life. But also James 1, 13 is along similar lines. Uh, it says when tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't put evil in anybody's lives. Now, a quick side note here. um, It is possible to to put some things in our own life, and you can't blame God or sometimes necessarily even the devil for that. Uh, For example, if, if you leave your front door open and your dog escapes and runs away, God did not steal your dog and cause your dog to run away. You just got to remember to shut your door. <laughs> and uh, if you're a good old, your good old Uncle Buck smokes seven packs of cigarettes a day since the time he was three years old and dies of lung cancer, God did not single out Uncle Buck to, and, and murder him. Maybe he should have quit smoking at some point. So these bad things, they mostly come from the devil, but you, you know, you can do things to bring some of these into your own life, but... Anyways, God only gives good things. Uh, James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So God only gives us good things. I mean, I could sit here and talk all day about that, but that's not what I'm going to do. What do I mean then by God won't give you more than you can handle? I want us to actually turn to this one. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And this is going to tell us the story of a miracle that happened in the, uh, in the ministry of the prophet Elisha. And it's actually one of the more unique miracles in the Bible. It, I don't, I'm not uh, the, the theologian that my father and, and brother are, but I don't, can't recall very many miracles that are exactly like this one. Um, 
Second Kings chapter four, and we'll start in verse one. It says, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. So she just has one jar of oil at home. And Elisha said, Borrow as many jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So we'll pause right here for a second. And as part of this miracle that's getting ready to happen... She had something she had to do on her own. She had to go and collect as many jars as she possibly could. And she had to, you know, once she had all the jars she could possibly handle, she's going to go home, like the prophet said, and fill them. Verse 5. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. So this is miraculous. She started with a little bitty flask of oil, and as long as they keep bringing her these jars, she keeps pouring oil, and she's got more than enough oil. But then we, let's look what happens when she gets to verse 6. Uh, Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. So we can see here from this story that when she could no longer physically contain the oil, that's when her blessing stopped. God wasn't going to keep pouring oil out when she doesn't have jars. It'd just make a big old mess all over the table and all over the floor, and then she'd slip, and she's a widow. An old widow, she'd probably break a hip or something. Just kidding. I don't don't, don't know where these things come from sometimes. I just have thoughts going in. I apologize. Odin, we pray for our old widows and they live healthy, happy lives. Uh, But Matthew, uh, in the the New Testament, Jesus uh, had a parable that was along these same lines. It's in Matthew 25. Uh, And you can turn there, but I'm going to just go over the... We won't read the whole thing, but I want to go over it a little bit. Basically, there's a really rich man uh, who's getting ready to go on a business trip. And before he goes on his business trip, he wants uh, to make sure that, you know, he's got his workers, his, his managers or whoever are going to keep his affairs in order. So what he does is he gives one servant uh, five bags of silver that he wants this guy to, to just keep an eye on for him. Another guy, he gives two bags of silver. And then one, uh, the last guy, he gives one bag of silver. And so while he's away on his trip... The guy with the five bags of silver is like, well, I don't want to just, you know, sit here on my hands. I'm going to do something with this money. So he takes that, that silver and he manages it. He invests it wisely. And the next thing you know, he has ten bags of silver. Uh, the, the one with the two bags of silver does the same thing. He doesn't want to be lazy with it, so he takes it and he turns it into to four bags. So they're doubling their investment. But then the, the one who had the one bag of silver uh, in verse 18... Uh, It says, but the servant who received the one bag of silver 
dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So he didn't do anything with it. He just buried it in the backyard. And uh, you've probably heard the story before, but we know eventually the master returns from his trip. And he's, of course, he's ecstatic that the guy with the, the five bags has doubled his investment. He's made money for his boss. And the same thing for the guy with the, t- the f- uh, two bags that now has four. His boss is just ecstatic because, I mean, if you make money for your boss, he's happy. And that's the main reason that our bosses keep most of us around. As soon as you start costing money, they don't uh, want, as much money, want, want as much to do with you. So, uh, he, you know, he's really happy with these two. But Lynn, let's look at verse 24. Let's see what he has to say with the, one, with the one bag of silver. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your one bag of silver bag. <laughs> but the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten a little bit of interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. And then this verse 29 is the the real kicker. This is the one that uh, it's a little hard. It says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So the master was not at all happy with the one who mismanaged his funds. In fact, he said, it it makes sense. He wanted to give it to the guy who's going to do the most with it. And that's what I mean by God won't give you more than you can handle. If you can't properly handle money or blessing... It can limit the extent to which God can bless you. God has to see that we can properly manage what we have now before he can bless us with even more. It's like with the olive oil. He's not going to just pour out the blessing and let it flow all over the floor and break Aunt Ruth's hip. Sorry. Um, But I know a lot of times many people think, you know, if I simply won the lottery or maybe my... My, you know, Uncle Buck, he's died and he leaves me a big old inheritance, even though he wouldn't have any since he smoked all those cigarettes. Um, but they think, uh, you know, if I just had the lottery or a big inheritance, you know, I'd be set for life. This would solve all of my problems. But there was actually uh, an interesting study done by the National Endowment for Financial Education. And they found that just the opposite is true. They found that 70% of people who unexpectedly came into large sums of money ended up broke within seven years. So that's seven out of ten of these people who won the lottery, got an inheritance, within seven years, completely broke, right back where they started off. Um, And then another famous example, uh, in 2009, Sports Illustrated did a study, and they found out that Within 12 years of retirement, 78% of NFL players are completely bankrupt. Eight out of ten of these guys who have made, you know, millions of dollars over their life, within 12 years, are completely bankrupt. And I've even seen stories of some of them, you know, being homeless, living under a bridge or something. 
And it's not because they didn't make enough money. It's because they didn't know what they were doing with their money. Uh, here's one that might hit a little closer to home for us. I know it's, uh, it's coming up on tax refund season. How many of us, you know, get a tax refund in the middle of February and then by the 1st of March we're completely broke again? I know Julie and I have, have definitely been there before. And that's why I, I speak from experience. I'm pointing the finger at, at what things that we've done before. So the answer to your financial problems, it's not going to be, you know, a random or unexpected windfall or, or money raining down from heaven. Now, real quick, uh, one of my favorite stories about my little nephew, Isaac, uh, he, he always has the best stories for some reason. But one day my, uh, my brother, Pastor Dave, was cleaning out his, the back of his car. And there's just, I guess, goldfish crackers all over the back seat. So he's over there, you know, upset that the kids had spilled their crackers. And he's just chucking these crackers out the window. And all of a sudden, he hears Isaac, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, I praise you, Lord, thank you. And so, finally, Isaac's getting louder and louder with his praise. And so, Pastor Dave goes out to see what's going on, and Isaac, what's going on out there? He's like, you won't believe it, Dad, God is raining goldfish on me from heaven. (laughs) And... Yeah, I mean, Pastor Dave will back me up on that one. It is a true story. Uh, now, uh, the Bible does say we have to have the faith of a child, but uh, if you're waiting for, you know, goldfish or, or $100 bills to rain out of heaven, I think you're probably going to be waiting for quite a while. That's not the answer to your problems. <laughs> well, his answer, yeah, his answer to his problems, he needed some goldfish that day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, this, is the, this whole process, like I said, has been very true in Julie in my life. Now, uh, when we first got married, we were literally probably the worst people in the world at handling money and finances. Now, we, we were tithers and givers, so we were never, you know, on the verge of starvation because God was taking care of us. But we were definitely limiting the extent to which he could bless us. Uh, and we were limiting him ourselves. And... You know, after we got married, we had no debt. But within, within not too long, we had racked up $27,000 of debt on the stupidest things you could ever imagine. Like, uh, we weren't making very much, obviously, because we were young, first married. But what we would do is, you know, we'd be hungry one night. And rather than, you know, you know going through the cupboards and making something with what we have, we'd be like, you know, let's go out to dinner. And instead of being reasonable, since we had no money and going to a dollar menu or something... We would take our credit card and go drop like 60, 70 bucks on dinner. <laughs> Which is literally the worst thing you knew because you're going to have to, by the time you pay interest, you know, you're paying $100 for a dinner you had six months ago. And we were just doing, you know, I needed, it was almost football season and I'm a huge football fan. I had to go uh, get a, a new TV because mine wasn't big enough. So I, of course, ran it up on, on credit card. And before you know it, started with no debt, $27,000 in debt. <laughs> we eventually realized that we needed to do something about this. And so we started seeking out at church, you know, friends who were better with money and even this Financial Peace University class. 
and we started handling our money better. Um, we still weren't making that much money, but we were like, you know what? We're just going to buckle down. Even if it takes us, you know, five years, we're going to start paying off this debt. But something miraculous happened. Once God saw that we were serious about this, Julie's job offers her a, a new position that literally doubles her wage. And so she takes that position. And it wasn't, seriously, probably but a couple weeks after that, my job offered me a position that literally doubled my wage. So uh, we went from making like seven, eight bucks an hour to making like $17 an hour and like $20 an hour, which was amazing because what we were able to do is pay off this debt, this $27,000 that we were, you know, we were on the five-year plan. We were able to pay it off in 13 months, 14 months. She, she gets mad if I get little details wrong. Paid it off in 14 months. And trust me, if I don't correct my facts, uh, I'll hear about it later. Just like with my vest. <laughs> she looks very sweet and nice, but don't cross her. Don't cross that woman. <laughs> so, sorry. Sorry. Getting distracted. But we had to learn how to biblically handle money before God could bless us, because if God had just dumped... on our lap while we were still out there being stupid, I probably would have, I'm going to be honest, I probably would have spent it all on tamales. (laughs) I would have spent $50,000 on tamales, and not only would I have been broke, I would have probably weighed 400 pounds. And since I had no money, I couldn't afford the liposuction. I mean, it would be bad. That's why we had to learn how to handle money biblically. So the main thing I want to talk to us today is How do you handle money biblically? Because there are a few concepts that the Bible tells us on how to handle money, you know, the way God intended for us to handle it. Let's turn to uh, Proverbs 22.7. And uh, we're reading a lot in Proverbs today, which I'm I'm glad actually this month as a church we're reading together uh, in the book of Proverbs. And a lot of our scriptures today coincidentally are out of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs, probably more than any other book, tells you how God wants you to handle your money. So Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. It says you are literally a slave to your lender if you borrow. And that does not sound like a good time to me. Um, So the number one thing that we need to do to handle money biblically, is get out of debt. It seems like a no-brainer. And in fact, uh, in the natural world, uh, you know, people that aren't even Christians will tell you the same thing. There's this, uh, this group of people called the Forbes 400. And these are the 400 richest people in North America. And uh, when I hear the you know, 400 richest people, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the Vanderbilt or someone who's had everything handed to them, you know, grew up on, were born on third base, thought they hit a triple or something, uh, or, you know, born with a silver spoon in their mouth. That's what I think of when I think of the Forbes 400. But actually, the, if you break down the uh, demographics of the 400 richest people in North America, 67% of them are first-generation rich. And what that means is they literally started with nothing 
Seven out of ten of them started with nothing, and now they're the 400 richest people in the entire country. And so they're not, they're, these are people that had to learn the hard way rather than, you know, someone who's had everything handed to them. So they, they do a survey with these people every once in a while, and uh, they ask them, what's the number one key to becoming wealthy and, 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 and you know, being one of the richest people in the country? 75% of them said the number one key to becoming wealthy is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. So these people, the richest people in the country who learned it their own on the hard way, they all, uh, nearly 8 out of 10 of them came to the same conclusion. If you want to get rich, you get out of debt. You know, they aren't saying, you know, try and get the, the American Express card that gives you the most points because that's how you're going to... That's how you're going to get rich is by milking the system and getting those points. What they're saying is get out of debt as quickly as you can and stay out of debt. The Bible uh, is very similar because the world, the natural wisdom winds up with the Bible here. Whenever the Bible mentions debt, it is always, always, always in a negative context. The Bible does not have one single good thing to say about debt. So, you know, the world is saying this and the Bible is saying this and they agree that's on this point. We need to get out of debt as quickly as we can. So how do you get out of debt? The first thing you have to do, uh, and it's something that Dave Ramsey is famous for, it's called have plastic surgery. And he, he has these comically oversized scissors he goes around and he just cuts up credit cards. He's like, we're cutting up this card because you have to stop borrowing if you want to get out of debt. You can't dig yourself, you know, get out of a hole by digging even deeper. <laughs> You'll just get yourself in even more of a mess. And, and, and honestly, you know, Julie and I uh, tried the same thing. Uh, when, we were, when we were in our mess, we had a bunch of credit card debt and stupid stuff. So at one point we decided, you know what, we're going to go get a, a consolidation loan. So uh, we consolidated our, our, our loan, credit cards all into one loan. We're like, all right, we've got a great plan here. But then, you know... Next Friday rolled around, and we're getting a little bit hungry. Hey, did you realize the credit cards have zero balance now? Let's go spend $100 on dinner. And before you knew it, we had had the original consolidation loan, and we'd racked up our credit cards again. So quit borrowing money. You can't get out of a hole by digging. (laughs) This is a point Julie wanted me to make sure I was clear on, because I guess there's a lot of confusion sometimes on this, but... Debt is anything that you have payments on. Anything and everything that you have payments on. If you can't pay cash, you cannot afford it. So uh, student loans, that's a, that's a form of debt. A lot of people don't consider that, but student loans is debt. 90 days, same as cash at the furniture store or like the TV like we did and all that. That's, that's debt. Or here's my personal pet peeve, car payments. Car payments are a form of debt. And to me, this is literally one of the worst forms of debt you can have because cars, 100% of the time, go down in value. So you're getting, not only do you have payments, but you have payments on something that's going down in value. Uh, I did a little research on this, and I found that the average car payment in America is $478 a month. Now, just to show you how bad of an idea these car payments are, if you put $478 a month rather than on a car that's going down in value, but if you put it on 
in like a mutual fund type investment from age 30 to age 70. When you reach age 70, that $478 a month, rather than going down in value, anybody want to guess how much that might be worth? Close, close. $5.6 million. If so, rather than putting your money towards something that goes down in value, you could have $5.6 million. And it's cool. Uh, actually, yesterday, Pastor Dave and, and uh, some of us went out to the Starbucks with uh, Dr. Barkley. And out in the parking lot, there was uh, a Maserati actually pulled up out there. And uh, I'm not a huge car guy, but I know those are nice cars and worth lots of money. And I imagine that if you have $5.6 million, you can probably afford one of those. Probably get another one if you wanted. But if you spend your whole life doing the typical American thing and just $478 a month and then, and then every two, three years you have to get a new one because, you know, that one's breaking down or whatever, you're not going to be able to pay cash for that Maserati. You'll never get a Maserati. So if you want to avoid debt, there are going to be many times that you won't be able to do things that you really, really, really desperately want to do. And this is the hardest part of the whole thing, is that you have to learn to say no. You're going to have to learn to say no to yourself. Because if you boil it down to its simplest level, essentially going into debt as the sophisticated, you know, financial adult version of your four-year-old throwing a tantrum at the, at the grocery store because he wants a, you know, a toy or something. They don't have any impulse control. They can't say no to themselves. And when you go into debt to get things that you don't need or even things maybe that you do need, it's essentially the same thing. Now, uh, the Bible actually has a cool term uh, called the harvest of righteousness. Can I, can I interest anybody in the harvest of righteousness? Right here, harvest of righteousness for this guy. And only him. He's the only one. Just kidding. The Bible actually tells us how to get a harvest of righteousness, which to me sounds like a great thing. Let's look at Hebrews 12, and it will tell us a very simple way that we can, that you too can have a harvest of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11. Here's how you get your harvest of righteousness. I hear a couple pages turning. That's another one of my ticks that uh, Julie yells at me for, is if I don't give people time to turn to their Bibles, she'll smack me later. She's like, I couldn't find that scripture. I'm telling you, watch out for this one. Hebrews 12:11. The key to the harvest of righteousness. It says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So this is where you have to discipline yourself. You know, you're going to have to learn to say no to yourself, even if it's something that you desperately want. It's not fun at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So if you want that harvest of righteousness, you have to learn to discipline yourself, to say no, to keep yourself under control. If you can't tell, I'm not a huge fan of debt because of how it about messed me and Julie up. But there's another reason that I don't like debt, and that's because if you use debt, it could possibly hinder blessings from the Lord in your life. Um, if your go-to anytime you have an emergency or a crisis 
is to go out and put it on the credit card or go get a, an installment loan. You're attempting to solve that crisis on your own rather than giving God you know, a room and an opportunity to work in your life. Because you're trying to solve that problem on your own. And there's actually a cool story that, that Dave Ramsey tells about this. Um, he had a friend who had decided, you know what, I'm broke, I'm tired of being broke, I'm going to follow these principles. I don't care what happens, I'm not going into debt anymore. So he made up his mind he was going to live by the word. And then what, the, what, the, what Jesus told us would happen uh, in the parable of the sower is that whenever you've got your heart set on the word, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. So as soon as he makes up his mind, no more debt, three weeks later, the engine blows up on his car, and it's his only way to get to work. So at this point, he's at the crossroads. He's at, you know, am I going to stick to my guns? Am I going to follow the word, or am I going to go out and get a, you know, a, a new car, a loan or something to fix this problem? And you know what? He just he resolved in himself, I'm going to just follow God's word. And, you know, if I have to bike to work, I'll bike to work, but I'm going to make this work. Soon after that, uh, he had a friend at church who heard about his predicament, and he said, you know what? I've got an old truck in my backyard. I don't use it anymore. It's not the nicest, but it runs, and it'll get you to and from work. And so uh, he's like, well, you know what? That's the Lord just stepping in there. So he used this junker of a truck. It wasn't the nicest. It got him to and from work. He used that for three months while he saved up money to get his car fixed. He was able, you know, to save up, get his car fixed on cash. And then uh, fast forward here several years later, and this guy has stuck to these principles all of his years. I'm not going into debt for anything. And he has a huge pile of cash. This man is very wealthy now. And it's because God was able to bless him because he stuck to, stuck to his guns. He stuck to his principles. Uh, Matthew 6.24. The, the Bible is just full of scriptures on these same lines. This is our Lord and Savior Jesus speaking to us. Matthew 6:24. He says, "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." And just like we saw in Proverbs, the borrower is the servant or the slave to the lender. You can't serve God and money. You have to get out of debt. That's the first thing. The second thing that I want to talk about is you have to learn to act your wage. I think that might be on your, uh, your sheet there. Act your wage. And what I mean by this is that income must be more than outgo. Now, uh, Yesterday I was going quickly over my lesson with Julie and I kept saying it backwards. I kept saying income must be less than outgo. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people live, you know. They spend more than they bring in. Um, Fortunately, she was able to to get me in line before I got up here, so I said it right. Uh, Income must be more than outgo. You cannot continuously spend more than you make. You know, your personal budget is not the congressional budget, this is the real world. If you continuously spend more than you have, you will eventually end up bankrupt. Uh, 
The Bible actually uh, has something to say in Proverbs uh, 21 about the type of person who uh, spends more than they make. It, it has some very kind and loving, comforting words to say about this type of person. Proverbs 21, let's uh, look at that real quick. Lots of scriptures, just so you know that I'm not you know, pulling this out of the air. This is really how, Bible, how God wants us to handle our money. But let's see these comforting words um, from the Lord on, on what he thinks about us when we uh, spend more than we make. Uh, in verse 20, it says, The wise have wealth and luxury. Well, that sounds nice. But fools spend whatever they get. If you spend more than you make, our loving Heavenly Father says you are a fool. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Let's go home. We're all fools. Just kidding. <laughs> no, if, if you spend all you get, you're a fool. But the Bible, what it teaches us instead is that we have to learn to be in content through Jesus. Now, one of the most famous scriptures in the entire Bible is Philippians 4.13. And this is one they teach us all in Sunday school. And I'm glad that all the children are in here today. You you could probably have one of them come up and quote it to us. Because this is one of the most famous scriptures in the whole Bible. Philippians 4.13. And it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But something I've learned uh, through the years of being a Christian and, and sitting under different ministers is that when you read a scripture, you have to read... The scriptures, you know, around that scripture to understand the context, just to understand the full meaning of the scripture. So I decided to do that with this scripture one day. You know, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know, I feel that pumps me up. But I was like, well, let's see what the context of this scripture is. And, and, you know, we can do everything through Jesus Christ. And there's lots of scriptures to that effect. But this one in particular, he's got a context for it. Verse 11 of Philippians 4. The Apostle Paul says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So he tells us right now that he's learned the secret to being content. And this is where our famous scripture comes in. What's the secret to being content? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Christ is the one who helps us to be content. So, like we were saying earlier, you know, getting a huge raise isn't always the answer to our problems because, like, like I said, if I had gotten a huge raise before I knew what I was doing, I wouldn't, my sides would be sticking around the pulpit because of the $50,000 worth of tamales I would have eaten. So getting, you have to learn to be content where you are. And you cannot out-earn your stupidity. This is something a lot of people think, you know, well, if I made more money, then that would fix everything. But you can't out-earn your stupidity. And the prime example of that is the one we talked about earlier. The NFL players. Do you think their problem is that they didn't make enough money? No, their problem is that they made stupid decisions. You can't out-earn your stupidity. It is stupid to spend money to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. And that's what most of us do. That's where Julie and I were. 
when I bought that TV, it's because I knew my buddies were going to come over and watch football. And I, I couldn't have them watch it on a 36-inch TV. I knew I needed 50-inch to watch football. It doesn't look as good on the smaller one. Just kidding. You have to learn to be content. And the, the rule of thumb that Julie and I actually found is that you, if your broke friends are making fun of you, then you're probably on the right track. Because the same way that you uh, wouldn't get, you know, fitness advice from someone who weighs 400 pounds, you know, me after I've eaten all those tamales, you also don't want to get financial advice from broke people because they don't know what they're doing any more than a 400-pound person knows how to lose weight. I'm working on losing my weight, and it will eventually come off. Um, so... A good example of this, of your broke friends making fun of you, was actually some, uh, some friends that uh, Julie and I had in Denver. We had uh, some friends that were going through the Financial Peace University class that we were teaching. And, uh, and their group of friends, the way you measured uh, how well you were doing with money was how many new cars you could buy. And it didn't matter if, you, you know, if you're living in a shack or a van down by the river. If you've got a nice new car, then by golly, you're doing all right. And so these people, everybody in their group of friends, I mean, and I've, been, I've seen some of their houses. They weren't that nice of houses, but they would all have two, three brand new cars in the driveway. And so they all thought that they were just doing great with money. Of course, they're, the cars are all on these huge payments. They can't afford a nicer house because they're, you know, putting out, you know, 478 was the average car payment times three on three cars, spending all their money on these new cars. So our friends were coming through this class. And they decided, you know what? It doesn't make any sense to have all of this debt on cars. You know, when we've got, we're not, we, want, we want to eventually be able to buy a house rather than renting, you know, over here on the bad side of town. So what they did, and, it, it, you know, their friends could not believe it. They decided, you know, why don't we get rid of a couple of these cars? Keep one to get to work or whatever. But we're going to get rid of a couple of them so we can start saving and, 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 and buy a house eventually, do some cool, fun things. And the funniest thing happened, as soon as they bought their cars and they started saving money, they're doing a little bit better, all of their friends got highly concerned. Are you okay, brother? Did you lose your job? I noticed you had to get rid of some of your cars. Their broke friends thought they were doing terrible, but that's how they knew they were right on track, because their broke friends were making fun of them. And the cool thing is, is that uh, it was just this last summer they got to make their, uh, in Colorado, they got to make a dream trip for them. They uh, got to take their kids completely cash to Disney out here. And that was a lifelong goal of theirs. And none of their other friends can afford that because they're, all their money's going to car payments. So that was just, it was a cool story to me. Especially, you know, when you see uh, Pastor Jake in Denver, my pastor, he would always have this phrase, he would say, the teacher has not taught until the student has learned. And so that's how I can kind of tell if I'm doing a good job is if you see the results in people's lives. So that one was a huge blessing to me to see them, you know, getting a house, paying cash for a trip. Let me know that maybe we're doing something right. First uh, Timothy 6, we'll, we'll read that one real quick. It tells us uh, what true wealth is. First Timothy 6, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. And it says, Yet true godliness with contentment 
is itself great wealth. So when you're content with God, that's where true wealth is. Learn to act your wage. Uh, Point number three we want to talk about here briefly is uh, that you need to get on a budget. Now, there's a famous phrase uh, that, that Dave Ramsey uses all the time. He says, now imagine there's a company called You Incorporated. Now, imagine that you as an individual were responsible for handling the money of You Incorporated. How do you think you're doing at that? Most of us would end up getting fired if we handled money for a corporation the way we handle it for ourselves. Let's look uh, real quick uh, at Proverbs 12. Sorry, I got you turning all over everywhere. And this is, a, this is another you know, loving, comforting phrase from the Lord. Tells us, you know, just to comfort us and pat us on the back and tell us how great we're doing. Proverbs 12, verse 1. And this one says, Whoever loves discipline, there's that evil, terrible D word that we were talking about earlier. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates this correction, what does it say about them? Is it on the screen there? It says you're stupid. <laughs> so that, that's a nice, warm, fuzzy scripture. See, the thing is, is that God can't bless stupid. We saw that in the parable of the talents. God can't bless you if you're being stupid. So you have to get on a budget. And uh, in Luke 14, there's a, Jesus told a parable about this. Uh, Luke 14, uh, verse 28. And you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to go ahead and read this one. It says, Don't begin until you count the cost. And... That's also known as doing a budget, you know, counting your money before you go out and spend it, making sure that you know what you're doing. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. And, of course, they're laughing at you because you're so stupid, which was what we saw earlier. They would say... There's the person who started that building and couldn't even afford to finish it. So if you don't do a budget to make sure that you know what you're doing with your money, everybody eventually makes fun of you. And, like we saw earlier, you're stupid. Every month from now on, you need to make a written budget. And if you're married, you need to make this budget with your spouse so that you're on the same page. And stick to it. And if you don't know how to do a budget, you know, you can... Julie and I would be glad to help you, or you can come to FPU, which is coming up really soon. And that class goes into detail on how to do budgets and all of this stuff. Get on a budget. The fourth thing you need to do, and this one uh, probably seems like a no-brainer, but we need to learn to save money. Uh, We were over in Proverbs, so we'll look at verse uh, 21. And I don't even think I did it intentionally, but I've got all these warm and fuzzy scriptures on on what the Bible thinks of us if we uh, don't follow these principles. (laughs) Now that I look at them, they're kind of a little bit mean. (laughs) Proverbs 21, verse 20. 
it says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, or the wise save is another way to look at it. But fools gulp theirs down. Fools spend everything they have. They don't save anything behind. It's the, the, that same word we keep seeing here. You're a fool, you're stupid, you know, if you don't do these principles. And I suppose you can get mad at me, but I'm not the one that wrote it. This is all straight from God. So you need to save money. And there's three main reasons we save. Uh, and the first one is you need to save for emergencies. And there's actually a very timely study that just came out this, this week. I was reading it in the news. There's a study from uh, bankrate.com. And they showed that 63% of Americans, and that's over half of, of the country, could not handle even a, something as insignificant, insignificant as a $500 unexpected bill. Over the half of the country would just be completely up in arms if they had a $500 bill come in that they weren't expecting. And to some of us that sounds like a lot, and to some of us not much, but that's over half the country could not handle even something so small that's $500. And that's just crazy because even if you don't make much, you can you know, hopefully sock a little bit away. We have to save for these type of emergencies. So in the Dave Ramsey class, we learned that you start by just saving up $1,000. Save up $1,000 and you know eventually you're going to be paying off your debt. You'll eventually progress to where you want to save more than $1,000. You'll eventually save up three to six months of your expenses. But when you get this $1,000... It's a good starting point, and uh, it's something that happened to Julie and I, actually. Uh, right after we started doing the thing, we, we had saved up our $1,000, and I was driving home from work a few days later uh, in Denver, and it was snowing and sleeting, and uh, I actually had a flat tire. And uh, I looked over it, and I don't know what I'd run over, but I completely ruined this tire. So I'm not that much of a mechanic, so I was going to change the tire, so I'm over there. And I'm not used to having this savings account, so I'm over there, you know, thinking all sorts of terrible thoughts, you know. Oh, man, how am I going to pay for a new tire? And on top of that, I'm, I'm out here covered in snow, and it takes me 45 minutes to change a tire because I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm soaking wet, but about halfway through, I realized, wait a minute. We've got a little bit of money now, you know, just this $1,000 saved. So... In the midst of it, I was able to get a little bit, you know, I was still sweating and cold and freezing and angry that I was out there taking longer than I should. But I was able to go, once I got that little donut on there, drive to the tire store and pay cash for new tires. And it was the first time in my life that rather than having a financial emergency and a car emergency, I merely had a, a car inconvenience. It wasn't as big of a deal. And that's why you've got to start saving now. Save, put a little bit of... I even see, like, on the Internet, they'll have, like, you know, save a penny a day, you know, and all that, and then it eventually ends up being, like... I, I don't know the whole details of the plan, but you'll have, like, you know, 500 bucks by the end of the year or something like that. Start where you can. Save money for emergencies. The other thing you need to uh, save, save for is that you can pay cash for things. Now... Paying cash for things is a novel concept because we're all in America. We're conditioned to uh, to using our cards for everything. And in fact, uh, they did a McDonald's did a study a few years ago because uh, some a lot of us are old enough to remember McDonald's didn't always take credit cards in their store, and they were because they didn't want to pay you know whatever Visa's transactions fee. I don't know what it is, but 
What they found after their study was that when people use plastic instead of paying cash for their McDonald's, they spend 47% more. And that's how Julie and I were when, when we were going out rather than scrunching up our pennies for the dollar menu. Oh, we're paying on our card. Let's just go spend 60 bucks on dinner. What do we care? So when you're using plastic instead of card, you end up paying more. And on top of that, cash gets you a better deal. Uh, this is something else that Julie and I found. After we moved to California, we bought our house and we wanted to go get some furniture for our house because, you know, she wasn't cool with sleeping on the floor for some reason. I, you know, being the, a newly married guy at the time, I could have cared less. I sleep on the floor. But we needed furniture, so what we did uh, was we saved up our cash and we went to Ashley Furniture uh, down here in Victorville. And the whole time we're there, you know, they're, you know, you, you could get whatever you want, just put it on payments. And so finally I told the sales guy, I said, I've got $1,600 cash here in my pocket. The next person that says anything about payments, I'm going to go across the street and see what, if they'll help me out. And uh, so he quit bugging me on payments. And I took that, uh, that cash and we were able to get, uh, I can't remember what the total cost of all of it was, but we got, yeah, yeah. We, had, we bought like a new bedroom set, a new living room set, including delivery and everything for uh, $15.99.99, which was one cent under our budget. And, uh, and uh, we had to, you know, it took a little wheeling and dealing. We had to talk to the manager and stuff. But uh, as we were leaving, the sales guy, because he'd had to turn us over to the manager, he said, he's like, I don't know how you were able to, uh, to get this stuff that low. He's like... We probably lost money on you guys, but it's because we had cash. <laughs> and uh, because of this, you know, I looked up 90 days, same as cash, and which is what they're pushing. I wonder, why are they pushing it so hard? And I found out that uh, 80% of the 90 days, same as cash, mm-hmm. so that's 8 out of 10. That's pretty much, you, you could round it up and say nearly every 90 days, same as cash is not paid off within 90 days. And if you don't pay it off within 90 days, they, uh, they uh, you know, as a courtesy, they turn it into a loan for you with 24 to 30 percent or 24 to 38 percent interest on that loan. And not only that, just to, just to make sure they really get you good, there's a prepayment penalty on the loan. So you've decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to get out of debt, but. Now, if you try to pay off this loan, they're going to charge you extra for paying it off early. So that's why they want you to do this 90 days, same as cash. They're trying, it's not to be nice to you. <laughs> and then saving up, back to my pet peeve, the, the car payments. A lot of people are like, well, if I don't, if I don't uh, get a car payment, how can I afford a car? Well, here's one for you. We said earlier the average car payment is $478. If you take $478, put it in a cookie jar, then after 10 months you have nearly $5,000. That's not the world's nicest car, but if you go out and get yourself a $5,000 car and keep saving that $478, then after 10 months you trade in your $5,000 car, which at this point honestly probably has done most of its depreciation. It's not going to lose any more money. You've got your $5,000 trade in and $5,000 cash. In 20 months, you've got yourself a $10,000 car. Now, imagine that you keep saving that up. Save up 
another $5,000. In 10 months, you trade in your $10,000 car with $5,000 cash. And you have yourself a paid-off $15,000 car. It may not be a Maserati, but it'll sure enough get you where you need to go. And that's in 30 months, where a lot of car loans start at a minimum at, at 36 months. So in less time than the time of the loan, you've paid cash for an, a nice car. The last reason we need to save is to invest. Once again, in uh, Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13 says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. So God wants us to save this up so we have some money, some investments to pass on to our grandchildren. He says you're a good person if you do that. And this is the first time we've seen you know, him saying something nice rather than saying that we're fools and stupid and stuff. And we won't go into uh, to a lot of about investing or anything, but something as simple as $100 a month, which a lot of people spend $100 a month on at Starbucks, you can easily spend that there. But if you take your Starbucks money, essentially, and stick it in like a mutual fund investment from age 30 to age 70... At age 70, your $100 a month would be $1.1 million. That means simply by saving your Starbucks money, you can retire as a millionaire. You have to save to invest. And then we're, we're coming around the home stretch, but the last thing that we, you need to do to handle money God's way, and this is one of the biggest ones, is number five, you need to give. And... I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because if there's one thing we learn at this church, it's how to give and receive. Uh, but, you know, Jesus does say it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the cool thing is that, you know, it's great to sacrificially give, you know, like the Jesus talked about the widow who gave all that she had. But, you know, even though your heart's right, it can still stress out your mind when you're giving everything you have. When you get to the point that you've done all these principles and you can give without having to worry about it, you can just freely give, that is literally the most fun you can ever have with money, is being able to give and not your heart's in the right place, your head's not stressing out. Because, you know, it's fun to be able to buy things now and again, but, you know, if I bought $50,000 worth of tamales, then eventually that's going to get old probably. But I can have more fun by giving this money and and having a, a normal amount of tamales. I love tamales. <laughs> so, uh, to, just to kind of put, to wrap this all up and put a bow on everything we've talked about today, finance is 20% knowledge, so that's, you know, learning all of the right things, but it's really 80% behavior. If you don't do it, it won't work. <laughs> and the Bible, uh, tell, it's, the Bible's the same way, honestly. If, you, if you're learning all this stuff in the Bible and not doing it, it doesn't help you. James 1, verse 22 says, Don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And there's that word again. You're fooling yourselves if you don't do it. So you have to remember that this process is more like a, a crockpot than a microwave. It's gonna, it might, sometimes it might take a while. You know, Julie and I, when we were paying off our debt, if it had taken us five years, we were, we were along for the ride. And the Lord was able to bless us to pay it off earlier. 
But we have the, our hearts, you know, we're in it for the long run. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't get tired of doing what it's good. At the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. So, uh, I, know, I, I know I covered a lot today, but there's a lot more I could cover. But if you really want to learn these biblical principles and, and, and more of the detail, then sign up for this Financial Peace University. It's coming up. Uh, we're starting on the 29th of, of January. And it, it is $100, but that buys you a lifetime membership for you and your spouse. Uh, it comes with all kinds of materials, access to Dave Ramsey's behind-the-scenes website, all kinds of cool stuff. And it's a small one-time investment. And the reason, too, is like you have to learn how to make these sacrifices to, to invest in yourself rather than going out and spending 100 bucks on Starbucks or whatever. Sign up. Uh, you, know, we can go to, you can go to our website, hdwc.org slash fpu. And uh, something Julie reminded me about, but uh, if you're on the fence about whether you should go or not, come to our first class on the 29th. Just sit in for free. Come in and sit in and watch and see what you think. And then you're free to, to never come again or free to come. But this class is what really made the difference in Julie and my life. And, and it's really helped us a lot. Um, before we close up here, I actually have a, a real quick video I want us to watch together. And then we'll, we'll pray together.